This is my dad. His name is Hopper. He made the best Eggos, and we like to watch Miami Vice on Fridays. This is Mr. Fibley. He is a squirrel. <laughs> and this is the alarm that my dad made. Uh, I was never scared because... Because... because uh, Angela, let's save questions until the end of Jane's presentation. Yeah, sorry. I'm just, like, confused. I thought this was a presentation about a historical hero. My dad was in the newspaper. Your local paper? <laughs> I just don't think that's what Mrs. Gracie meant by historical. This is supposed to be about famous people? My dad is famous. He saved lots of lives in a mall fire. He was a hero for people. And he was my hero too. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Stranger friends, welcome back to Stranger Danger. Welcome back to the original, the official, not a bonus episode, not a book club episode, not a trailer episode, but an actual 
episode where we are covering a new season of Stranger Things, starting with today's episode, The Hellfire Club. Now, I'm going to give you a little warning here. I have not watched any other episode. So if I sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, it's because I don't know what I'm talking about yet. I have questions, I have thoughts, I have ideas, but I don't have any knowledge of any other episode. Now, I can't promise that I will continue doing it this way going forward. There's got to be a point where I just have to watch these episodes. But for this first one, I wanted to go in as fresh as a daisy. I I woke up this morning. I set my alarm for 5 o'clock. I don't remember it going off, but at 5.20, I woke up. I was like, what? 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 Did I miss it? And I immediately ran to to the TV. My dog was sleeping. I had a coffee left in the refrigerator from the night before, ready to roll. And then my dog wanted to go out. And then I waited, and then she wanted to go out again. She's She has a little tummy issue, but she's, she's doing okay. She's doing okay. Uh, I took today out of work, and I timed this perfectly, where I watched the episode, and I finished the episode very early this morning. Finished it before my wife was leaving for work. Was able to um, to make her morning coffee, make her morning smoothie. I stay home for work, so I don't mind doing these things for her. She has to go out into the wild. And I, uh, she, she left about 7.30, and boom, I'm ready to go. But then my dog needed to go for a walk. Okay, fine. But here's the thing. Because my dog's tummy was hurting, and because I took today out of work specifically for this show, for you guys, um, I also had time to take her to the vet. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Put on a little medicine. She's chilling right now. Give her some mild food to help with her belly. Um, but all I was thinking was, I-, I-, I need to get back. I need to get back. Back to Stranger Things. I uh, took a lot of notes. And we're going to go through this episode painstakingly. Is that that's the right word? Um, so I-, I hope you enjoy it. And if you leave me any voicemails, just letting you know that I'm going to wait until after I'm through these seven, or depending on timing, it could be through all nine uh, episodes, so that I don't get spoiled on anything, and we don't spoil anybody on anything. I don't want any questions to accidentally be brought up. Maybe you bring up something about episode three, and I'm only on episode two, or you know what I mean. So I'm if you sent in a voicemail and you haven't heard it yet, uh, that's because... Uh, I'm waiting. So big thank you because I've seen a voicemail already come in, but I am going to hold off on it. Uh, and I've seen a couple come in, so I appreciate it. And you will be heard. You will be heard, but not yet. A day will come, but today is not that day. Today, we are here to talk about a new episode. The Hellfire Club. What is the Hellfire Club? Well, in Stranger Things world, it's the club, the the Dungeons and Dragons club that uh, our friends are part of. But the name comes from Marvel Comics. It's a fictional society 
um, often it comes into confrontation with the mutant heroes, the X-Men. So they're like the X-Men villains. Uh, and they have been around since 1980, created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Uh, very famous names in comics world. Uh, and that, of course, is a, is a fairly, um, like, apropos. Why do I try to say that? I can never say that. It seems like it's a good name for a, for a group of, of guys to have uh, as their Dungeons and Dragons club. I have trouble even saying Dungeons and Dragons without mumbling all over my words. Um, but that's the name of the club. That's the name of the episode. And speaking of that episode, let's not waste any more time. Let's go right into it. Chapter One, The Hellfire Club. Now, before the episode even starts, before the recap of Stranger Things 3 starts, we're met with a text card advisory mentioning the awful events that took place earlier this week in Texas. It says, we filmed this season of Stranger Things a year ago, but given the recent tragic shooting at a school in Texas, viewers may find the opening scene of episode one distressing. We are deeply saddened by this unspeakable violence, and our heart goes out to every family mourning a loved one. I don't usually bring real-world events into our safe little Stranger Things bubble, but because it was addressed before the episode, I just thought it would be disrespectful to if I didn't at least mention it, if I ignored it. And just to say that my heart goes out to all the victims and their families, obviously. Um, but let's try to uh, think of something positive and let's discuss our friends of a Stranger Things. The episode opens up on a quaint, nice suburban neighborhood. Seems like it's autumn based on the leaves on the ground. We see our paper boy racing down the street, tossing papers to various houses. And one of those houses we stay on. And a door opens up and we see a man reach down, pick up a paper. We don't see his face, but we go into the house with him. We see him make some tea, does a morning crossword puzzle in pencil. Come on, man, have a little more confidence, you know, do it in pen. We don't need that eraser. He actually sets an egg timer to an hour, giving himself a bit of a challenge, one that he seems to complete just in time. We see him trim a bonsai tree. We see him shaving, picking out clothes. And then we see him look into the mirror. And as the face comes into focus, we see the face of Dr. Martin Brenner. Wait, oh my God. Dr. Brenner? Alive? Well, yes, because we're actually in the past. September 8th, 1979. I looked up that date to see if there was any cultural significance. The website on this day says someone named Cheryl Pruitt uh, was crowned Miss America. And it's also the day that uh, singer Pink was born. You know, I'm coming out, so you better get this party started. Now, just looking up September 8th in general... Wouldn't you know it, that on September 8th, 2002, a young man by the name of Gaten Matarazzo was born. Yes, Mr. Dustin Henderson himself is a September 8th baby. Anyway, we cut over to, oh, you guessed it, Hawkins National Laboratories. 
we see a lot of children in there in the familiar garb that we saw Eleven in back in season one. Hospital gowns, short, tightly cropped cut hair. The camera goes through the room and we go by two children uh, sitting at a table making these little tops spin on their own. And at first glance, I thought, wait, is that Eleven? And then looking at it again, yeah, I believe it is. I believe that the child we saw really quick was Eleven. And I liked how they did it quickly. Like they didn't focus on her. So you just were like, whoa, was that her? Uh, And then she was sitting with another child. And I thought, could that be Kaylee? Could that be number eight? Based on what happens and the timing and the age, I don't think so. Um, But it's one of those things, if if you don't notice it, it goes by quick. It doesn't mean anything, really, but you do see it. Uh, we, we see other children. Uh, one, someone's playing with a ball in one of those things that's like a Plinko board where you drop the ball and then it goes through these little, like, there's nails in the, in the, in the board that kind of decides where the ball goes. Uh, we see two children playing chess, just chess, no, like, mind chess or anything like that. But we see another girl making a metal ball go through a maze without even touching it. They're both... Boys and girls, there are various ages and races, a wide spectrum of children for that monster Dr. Brenner to pick and prod at his benefit. Speak of the devil, pun very intended, Brenner walks into the room and sits down by a young boy, asks him how he's feeling today. Okay, the boy said. He asks him, are you up for some more lessons? The boy has a magic eight ball, which is a toy that I don't know if it was from the 60s, a big in the 60s. Uh, it's, I think it's still around. I know it was around when I was a kid and it's been around for, a, you know, recently. It's a toy where you shake it. It's supposed to be like a fortune teller. You shake it and there's this almost like a die, dice inside, multi-sided thing with all these different answers on it. And depending on, you know, how the, the liquid inside floats the thing to the top, depending on what uh, side you land on or what side shows up, that's your answer. That's your, your fortune. And it said all signs point to yes, answering for him. Now, I don't know if that was something where he made it do that or it just kind of happened and that was the way he answered Dr. Brenner. So Dr. Brenner and the boy, we see them walking down the hall holding hands. The number 010 is tattooed on his wrist. He is 10. They walk down the hall as a woman holding another boy's hand walks by Afternoon, Dr. Brenner. Afternoon, Dr. Ellis. And I remember thinking, ooh, Dr. Ellis, I should I should remember that name. But I probably don't have to after we see what happens here. And, you know, what's with the holding hands? And I thought they probably started doing this when the kids were really little. And to make them feel like they're paternal and they're they're their protectors, and they and they just kept on doing it as they get a little older, almost brainwashing them like they're helpless and they need these adults to take care of them, which I think is absolute garbage. Uh, they continue down the hall, and as they walk by, they walk by this door with a very small sign on it. It only features one number on it, and that number is eleven. We cut into the lab room where Brenner is conducting tests with ten. He would draw something on a piece of paper and 10 would have these, uh, this thing on his head like uh, reading his brainwaves, much like 11 has had. He kept his eyes closed and he would ask uh, 10 what he saw. He saw a sun. That was correct. Then he uh, 
Brenna draws an animal and he says, I, I think it's a cow. He goes, it's, well, it's supposed to be a dog. It looks like a cow. He's like, it does, doesn't it? I, I never was much of an artist. They share a laugh. And you can see the ten actually is comfortable around Brenner. And Brenner pretends to be friendly to him, I think. I don't know if it's real or not. Uh, he says, you know, let's try to step it up a bit. Why don't you, um, why don't you see if you can find Dr. Ellis? So you see his eyes closed, but they're darting around inside his eyes. You see the brain waves, like, seem to be more active. Uh, and he found her pretty easily. He says she's doing lessons with six in his room. Now, in the comic book, there's a comic called Six. And Six was a girl. And a, a quick thank you to Jaylee Parker on Twitter, who reminded me of this, who pointed, because she watched the first eight minutes. I didn't watch it when it first came up. So at the time, I was like, no, I don't even want to know that. No, spoiler. Doesn't really make that big of a difference. But pointing that out, maybe the comics aren't... Um, as in canon as I thought they were. So uh, Brenner asks, you know, um, what kind of lessons are they doing as he's taking notes? And the boy says, uh, Six is trying to move a red block. And then Brenner asks him, can you hear what they're saying? Something is wrong. If you've lost the visual, just let it go. Try to reorient. They're screaming. Why are they screaming? Ten. Ten sees these flashes of violence, flashes of blood. I like what's going on out there. Six and Dr. Ellis. Dead. They're both dead. All of a sudden, you hear these screams, and Brenner looks like frightened. He has no idea what's going on. I mean, they're coming, they're adults screaming, children screaming. They sound like you hear explosions. Then it gets very quiet for a moment, and all of a sudden, the door smashes into the room, flies in, hits Brenner, knocks him unconscious. I'm not sure how long he's out for, and then he awakes at a start. He rolls over and he turns to see Ten lying there. He lifts him up and he's gone. But the way Brenner was holding the boy, it was like there was some real affection, like real care there that I didn't think was possible with him. He hears more screams and he gets up. He heads, he starts heading out to the room and he's just confronted with horror. So many dead bodies. Looks like there's orderlies, doctors, uh, a guard, and the children. Keeps everywhere he stumbles, he's seeing more death. And then he goes into the main room, the rainbow room where they were all playing. And he finds more death. More agony. 
and he sees one child standing there with her back to him. And the child turns, and we see it's Eleven. What have you done? We cut to the opening credits then, and wow. So that's the first eight minutes that people were seeing on YouTube um, for the last week that I ignored. My God, that was jarring to watch. And what the hell was going on there? Storyline-wise, what? Like Eleven's eyes were bleeding, her nose was bleeding. She seemed very upset. Now, my theory is that the dying was sort of a byproduct of some, like, emotional explosion that she has. Because remember in the trailer, we see, like, lights exploding around her, too, and she was still young with a shaved head then. So that's that's the young version of Eleven in the lab, I think. I think we're going to have other flashbacks. I think. But I don't know. I don't know what to see. But what I did notice was that Eleven, something happened with her, with her powers, because you see her bleeding. And all those children, all those people were gone. And what I come to realize is Brenner, who seemed, you know, really like upset. What did you do? What did you do? What have you done? Well, a couple years later, he's this hardened Man, I don't know if this changed him. I don't know um, if he started being like, we have to do things differently. Probably not. Probably was still that way. But I know that with everything that Eleven did, it didn't stop him from working with her. In fact, it seemed to make him focus all of his work on her as, I mean, she was the last one. He didn't give up on the project. He kept the project going. Kept abusing her and using her for him, his, and the uh, government's gain. Just a crazy, crazy opening that takes place four years before Stranger Things 1 and seven years before uh, where we start our current day of Stranger Things 4 once we get to it after the credits. All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray I've been for a long on a winter's day I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A. After the credits, we hear California Dreaming, a song originated by the Mamas and Papas. And if you had the subtitles on, it says California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. But that version is actually the Beach Boys. And I looked it up. um, The Beach Boys from 1986. They put out an album and featured this, this cover version. So it fits 
um, perfectly with the 1986 uh, timeline. So after hearing that, we know now that we're in California. We know who we're starting with. We start with Eleven doing a voiceover of a letter that she wrote to Mike. You hear um, Eleven talking. Uh, She says today is day 185, but it feels like it's been a year. She says Joyce said time is funny like that. You know, sometimes it moves fast, sometimes it moves slow. We're almost like time travelers in that respect. And when I listened back to that the second time, I thought, hmm, why did they bring up time travel? I wonder if that, I wonder if that's a a, um, a hint of something. I don't know. I have no. I, I told you, I have no idea, no idea. But um, we see her working on a visual aid for a school, which is awesome because it's a nice little sculpture of Hopper in front of their cabin, complete with the tripwire. I love it. We see Joyce is now doing sales over the phone. We see Will is painting a lot, but he won't let them see what the painting is. So I feel like that's going to play into something at some point. Um, she says Will's acting weird. Maybe it's for a girl. Uh, meanwhile, Jonathan is busy basically just getting high and waiting to see if he gets him to college. These are my words, not um, not Eleven's as she's writing to Mike. She says something about um, smoking a plant that is good because it comes from the earth, but don't let his mom know. Uh, but when she was talking about college, she said, how would he even get there with his car being broken? Right now, they have to rely on his funny friend, Argyle, to drive them in his pizza van. Eleven is blown away by this guy because he has longer hair than hers. She says uh, as she's getting in, her and Will and Jonathan, they're all getting into this van to get ready to go to uh, school. And she says, me, I am twice as happy now. You were right. It just takes time. Sure. I'm not sure I believe that. So they all get into the van and uh, they head off to school, but not before Argyle turns, looks at them in the back seat, and says, Hold on to your butts, Prochachos. I think I have finally adapted. I don't know. Just the way she was talking, so positive. First watch, I, I, I wasn't so sure about Eleven. She's making everything sound really great, but I'm not so sure it is as um, happy as she's making it out. Uh, she says, I even like school. And we see they're in Lenora Hills, California. It's March 21st, 1986. Couldn't really find anything interesting about March 21st. Except that it's Jason Norman's birthday. I guess that's some actor. and I don't know. All I'd, I, all I'd have to say to that is, up the tube! Anyway, okay, we see Eleven and Will are in school. In the letter, she says how she has all these friends. But in reality, we don't, we don't see that. Like, she, a girl's waving, she waves back. The girl just walks by her. She wasn't waving at her at all. She says spring break's right around the corner. And she's really excited because she'll have him. She will see him. And she says, we will have the best spring break ever. And then we immediately see her get hit in the face with a spitball. Um, turns out I have my new favorite people to hate. It's these, these jerks, these bullies 
inside uh, Eleven and Will's class. And I have to say that um, when they finally get their comeuppance, it will be so joyous, so, so satisfying. So the scene cuts over to uh, Mr. Michael Wheeler in his bedroom as he's reading the note with a big smile on his face. He's all happy and in love. And boom, the door opens. Nancy bursts in. She's like, what the hell are you doing? It's 10 after. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. He runs down. And his parents tell him, you have to be home by 9 o'clock. They know you have your D&D club. He corrects them. It's a Hellfire Club. We see he's wearing a shirt. This is a Hellfire Club. His dad's like, why don't you just call it the high school dropout club? But you have to be back by 9 p.m. Because you need to go to bed early. Because it's a 6.30 flight. And if you miss that, it's no California and no sweetie pie. The kids rush out of the uh, rush out of the house. And Ted says, remind me, when did they become reasonable human beings again? Karen just sighs. But can we take a moment to talk about Karen Wheeler's new look? Her, her blonde hair is now a big frizz-looking thing. It's very much like gel or something's in there. She's wearing a, a, a headband that screams, I am in the mid-1980s. And I have to say, I love it. Big, big fan. We cut over to Dustin, and um, he now has the Cerebro antenna mounted on his house right up on the roof. And I guess that's enough power for him to uh, be able to talk to Susie. He's giving her these different words, and it looks like, ha yes, it is. He's actually having Susie break into the Hawkins High school network. He gave her the, all these different passwords, and she's going in there to change his grade. He has all these good grades, except was it Latin? He had a D minus. Yes, this reminds me of War Games. Uh, Matthew Broderick did this. Didn't he change a grade? I think... Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off logged in and changed his absentee dates. I mean, and I love that Susie is using an Amiga computer. I remember going over to my friend's house in junior high. He had an Amiga that was connected up to the phone so he could go online. I have no idea what we did online. Like, you couldn't really do anything, but it dialed it and you connected to something. I thought it was amazing. We jump over to Steve the Hare Harrington driving his best friend, good buddy, Robin Buckley. Uh, he's telling her all about um, his girl trouble, which seems to be that there are too many girls. And it, it does look like he's growing a little bit of a mustache. Robin's barely listening because she said she's worried about the pepper alley. Steve doesn't buy it. He thinks he knows exactly what she's worried about. It's about Vicky. And she's like, what? He's like, listen, you just need to be yourself. Take your own advice, okay? I took it and look what it did for me. Robin makes a, a pretty good point. She goes, you know, you ask a girl out. She says, no, nothing happens. Maybe your ego's bruised a little bit. I ask the wrong girl out, and bam, I'm a town pariah. Steve agrees, but thinks Vicky is definitely not the wrong girl. Robin's like, we don't, we don't know that, do we? But, but Steve thinks he does. See, she brought Fast Times back to the video store. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Brought it back to the video store, paused, at 53 minutes and five seconds. And he says, you know who pauses fast times at 53 minutes and five seconds? People who like boobies, Ew, Robin. Gross. Boobies. Don't say boobies. Not a big deal, okay? I like boobies. You like boobies. Vicky likes boobies. Definitely. It's boobies. 
Such a great Steve moment. Hopefully the first of many this season. <laughs> just saying boobies. It's, it's just such a silly, childish, funny word. Just saying it makes me laugh. We see them arriving at Hawkins High. So Steve drives her to school in the morning. Uh, she gets dropped off and we pan over, see a bunch of kids. And then there's this adult directing all the kids into the gym. All the kids into the gym because of this pep rally that's happening. We see a bus, and out of the bus emerges Max Mayfield. I love seeing all our characters, all our friends, kind of having their moment to see them for the first time. She doesn't look all that happy, though, as she starts walking with her Walkman on. She starts walking away from the bus. The woman stops her and asks her, you know, where, where were you yesterday? She goes, oh, I, I'm sorry, I must have forgotten. She's like, well, I, I'd like to see you after lunch, okay? So... It seems like maybe she's some sort of academic advisor or guidance counselor or something. We then cut into the gym where we see cheerleaders and the, the marching band with Robin playing and staring at one of those girls a little bit. I'm pretty sure that has to be Vicky. Max goes and, and I was going sit, but they were all standing with uh, Mike and Dustin who are arguing about which girlfriend is better, or at least Dustin is. You know, she's like, well, Susie is a certified genius. You do realize Elle saved the world twice, right? And yet you still have a C in Spanish. Kind of a fun little moment there just of Dustin and Lucas just busting on each other, you know, lighthearted, uh, just kind of picking on each other that, that friends, really close friends uh, often do. Uh, and I just have to say, wow, Hawkins High has like, like an elite-level cheerleading squad. Let's hear it for the Tigers. The basketball team runs out onto the field through this banner to the screams of the crowd. Hey, there's Lucas on the team with the freshest flat top in Indiana. The team is led by this guy that kind of looks like your typical 80s high school preppy athlete. Looks like he's 27 years old. Um takes himself a little too seriously, might be a jerk, not sure. He addresses the crowd with like this sappy, smooth speech about thanking them for their support. Lucas catches Max's eye and gives a little wave, and she just looks at him and looks away. I'm assuming this, this kid here, given the speech, is th this kid. He looks like, like I said, he looks like he's 27 years old. Uh, I assume he's the team captain. He thanks uh, all the, the, the cheerleading squad, especially Chrissy. We see one of the cheerleaders. He says, I love you, babe. And she gives a little smile back. And then he takes a somber moment to talk about the recent tragedies and how, how much loss can one community take. He mentions names like Heather, Billy. When he says Billy, you can see Max just like react to that. And Jim Hopper and how they all died in that fire. But when you think about it, there's only a few people in that school who really know the truth. You know, Lucas on the team, Dustin, Mike, and Max, and uh, Nancy, and Robin. Steve's not there anymore. Everyone else thinks they, you know, died in a fire. Also, it seems kind of shallow to be like, win the big basketball game for them. 
but I think he's a high school kid, so maybe he probably thinks he's being thoughtful. And who knows, maybe he is. As I said, my first impression makes me think we won't like him. But remember, remember how we viewed Steve the first time we saw him. But then again, he said, what did they die for? For us to lose to some some crap school? Yep, okay, that seems pretty ridiculous. Um, and it looks like, you know, our friends in the, in the stands, they feel the same way. But they're looking forward to, to, they won that game the other night, and they're looking forward to win the big game tonight. Wait, tonight? Dustin and Michael, like, that's impossible. How is that happening? They're not happy about it. After the pep rally, Lucas, Dustin, and Mike are walking together to class, and they're arguing because Lucas wants them to talk to Eddie to get them to move their Hellfire Club to another night. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you talk to your coach and get him to move the game to another night? This is the championship game, said Lucas. And this is the end of Eddie's campaign. I think it was Dustin that said that. He's like, we need you. You know, the Tigers don't. You've been sitting on the bench all year. And Lucas tells them, that's not the point. Please arrive at the point. By getting good with these guys... I'll be in the popular crowd, and then you guys will be too. Has it ever occurred to you that we don't want to be popular? So you want to be stuck with the nerds and freaks for three more years? We are nerds and freaks. Yeah, but maybe we don't have to be. Look, I'm tired of being bullied. I'm tired of girls laughing at us. I'm tired of feeling like a loser. We came to high school wanting things to be different, right? So now we have that chance. I skipped tonight, that's all out the window. So I'm asking you guys, as a friend, just talk to Eddie, get him to move Hellfire. Come to my game. Please. I gotta say, I kind of feel bad for Lucas in this, uh, in this instance. Um... This is a big game for him. And I don't know Dungeons & Dragons enough to be like, you know, I know that they really love it. But I think it's, I don't know, I just think it's unfair of them to be like, change your whole basketball team. Change your whole game. Everything. Um, I, I wish they did go to the game. I mean, it, it leads for some cool moments later but I don't like fractions among the friends for whatever reason and we haven't even got to any like major moments that include them so far we cut back to California and we see uh, a mailman he's getting some things out of the back of his truck but we focus on this bigger box that has 20 stamps on it Inside the house, we see it's the new buyer's house. We see Joyce on the phone making a sales pitch for information at your fingertips. People today are so spoiled that uh, they might not remember the days of the home encyclopedia. You had a book with all kinds of information on those things, and if by chance that information was wrong or out of date, too bad. You were stuck with the facts you knew in that book, and that was it already. The man-man comes through the door, and he and Joyce have a quick little chat while she's on the phone trying to sell um, encyclopedias to this woman about possibly an acceptance letter. Uh, 
showing up for Jonathan. He says, it hasn't arrived yet, but it'll be coming this week, Mrs. Byers. Don't you worry. She says, I always worry. And I thought, hmm, she still goes by Mrs. Byers. Or maybe I'm just kind of reading too much into it. Maybe that's just the phrase that the postman used. But, oh, that big box with the 20 stamps? Yeah, that was for Joyce, too. He delivered that to her. So she's still on the phone when, with this woman when she's all of a sudden notices something on the box and says, hey, can I call you back? She looks at the box and the stamps. They're all Russian. They have the little hammer and sickle from the Russian flag. She immediately grabs uh, some scissors and tears open the box. And inside the box, weirdly, there's only one thing. This Russian doll. And it's not a one of those Russian nesting dolls where there's one thing inside another thing inside another thing. It's just this kind of looks like an old traditional Russian doll dressed in like kind of old fashioned dressing. Uh, she doesn't know what the hell to make of it, but in the background we hear some Russian music playing, some Russian like chanting chorus. We cut back to uh, Eleven and Will's class, and that girl, Angela, is giving a presentation on Helen Keller. And that's why I chose Helen Keller as my hero. Every word out of her mouth makes me dislike her even more. Uh, So the teacher pulls a fishbowl out, uh, has a fishbowl, and pulls a little note out and says, let's see who the unlucky uh, person is to go next. And it turns out to be Jane. They call her Jane there, even though Will calls her L. And we all call her L. We get um, kind of a sweet moment where she says, I made a D-O-Rama, she couldn't say it right, which was cute, for my visual aid. And my hero is my dad. Uh, Then one of the guys is like, more like diarrhea. And she looks, this is like some fantastic acting. She looks at the kid and like, ha 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 ha, pretends to laugh along with it. And I was like, oh, he talks about, she talks about, uh, this is my dad. His name is Hopper. He made the best egos. We watched um, Miami Vice on Fridays. And part of her presentation was what I played as the opening clip of this episode. Uh, that girl, Angela, is, is like, um, excuse me, but um, I don't think I understand the assignment. I thought it was about historical people, like famous people. My dad is famous, and she says how he, he saved a lot of people in a fire. He was a here, and he was in the newspaper, the local paper, and they all giggle. And um, you know, she says he was a hero. He was my hero. Uh, and oh, so sorry, that's not what I meant. I just wanted clarification to the rules. And the teacher's like, "Well, technically, you're right, but Jane chose her father, so please continue." Eleven's almost in tears at this point. Um, while that was going on, a girl played footsies with Will a little bit, and he kind of just like, he froze up and he recoiled. And I don't know if it was either out of fear or disinterest or a mixture of both, um, but he's dealing with that. At the same time, Eleven is being pretty much bullied right in front of the teacher without the teacher even doing anything about it. When they're leaving the room, Eleven uh, is just like in tears at that point. We see her then leaving the classroom really upset and Will's behind her. L, L, it really wasn't that bad. And she just says, friends, don't lie. 
she heads off. We cut back to Hawkins High and we see Max walking down the hall and she seems to always have her headphones on, which reminds me of me. I, um, if I'm out shopping, if I'm at work, uh, if I'm walking my dog, I pretty much always have headphones on. If I'm cleaning the dishes, I always have headphones on. She makes her way down the hall, just kind of looks at all the different people and she doesn't, I wonder if she's looking at all these kids who, who think they're happy or are happy and she's just sitting there with the reality of her situation. She just doesn't look all that happy. Uh, And one of the people she goes by is Lucas, who just kind of looks at her. Uh, Then she walks by that cheerleader, that cheerleader girl from the the pep rally, Chrissy. Uh, She looks like she's a little upset, and she's leaving the room that Max is going into, and it turns out it is the counselor's office. It is that woman from the parking lot earlier in the day. Uh, Seems like... A lot of things have changed for Max, and the counselor has noticed that she's been getting a few C's that really isn't normal for her. If you say so. How's your mom holding up? She's fine. I mean, she hates our new place, which, like, yeah, it's terrible, but she's fine. Is she still drinking? Like... Yeah, a little, but... Well, she's working two jobs, so it's not easy. Must not be easy for you either, with your stepdad gone. It's kind of better, honestly. Better how? He was an asshole, so there's less... assholery. Are you sleeping better? Yeah, fine. So no more headaches? Nightmares. Nope. Max, what you've been through, what you're still going through, it's a lot for anyone. And it's okay to not be okay. But I can only help you if you're truthful. If you been up to me. Yeah, I, I know. I'm, I'm being open. I'm being open. There is a lot going on there. Um, first of all, we find out that they're in this new place that they hate. Find out that Max's mom is drinking. She's working two jobs. We find out that her stepdad is gone. Billy's dad left town, took off, I guess, after Billy passed. Uh, But that, she says, honestly, is better because he's an asshole. She asks, the the counselor asks her, are you sleeping okay? No more headaches? So she's having trouble sleeping. She's had headaches, nightmares. And she says no, but we see a flash of Billy being killed. Uh, She goes, you know, Max, with what you've been through, uh, what you're still going through, is a lot, but I can only help if you're being truthful. She says, I'm being truthful. And, you know, this woman, she isn't being truthful because this woman is like, you lost your brother in this fire. And, and that's not what happened. And she can't say that. So she leaves the office. And outside the office, she runs into Lucas, 
who wants to give her a ticket to the game. He knows she doesn't care about basketball, but this one's kind of a big deal. Oh, oh, she says, oh, it's a big deal? You, you really care about this? He's like, yeah, I do. Maybe if you found something you'd care about too. And Oh, Jesus, Lucas. Take your foot and put it right in your mouth. She's like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? He says, it's like you're not even here anymore. It's like you're a ghost. She's a, a ghost? She's like, you think something's wrong? You know, it must be because I broke up with you. You know, people change, okay? I changed. She gives him back the ticket and uh, says, you know, good luck. Again, I feel bad for Lucas. Nobody is supporting his basketball team. I hope his parents went. We didn't see them. We know later that his sister doesn't go. I don't know. I feel I feel bad. We stay with Max as she goes into the bathroom. She seems a little upset, and she takes out some Tylenol, and I'm thinking, oh, she still is having headaches. But she hears something else. She hears some vomiting. It's Chrissy. Hey, are you all right in there? And Chrissy's like, just, just go away. Just go away. Are, are you sure? Just leave. And she's like, oh, okay. She, she heads off. Uh, but we'd stay with Chrissy. In the bathroom stall, she hears another noise. And she's like, are you deaf? Go away. Chrissy. Chrissy. Mom. You ready to try on the dress again? I loosen the back a little for you. happened uh so let's try to go back and explain what we just heard what i just saw chrissy's in the bathroom saying go away all of a sudden we hear the sound of a voice that i guess is her mother chrissy chrissy and she sounds like a real piece of work like maybe somewhat abusive i don't know if this is just the evil talking or if her mother said things like this I took the dress out for you and open the door and then they start saying open the door open the goddamn door or I'll gut you like the fat pig that you are and this loud banging 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 until it's gone we also see these two feet and you know if we never saw the trailer we'd have no idea who these two disgusting feet belong to but we know it's this this creature that we've seen uh, in the trailer, the, the monster, the one that I assume talks, uh, we see his feet outside the, the door. And then, then it, uh, it vanishes. It goes away and she's left there uh, in fear. And the whole thing, take the dress out, fat pig vomiting. It seems like Chrissy has some sort of body dysmorphia issue or maybe some sort of eating disorder. Uh, and somehow the evil has tapped into that and used that against her. We jump over to the cafeteria of Hawkins High. We hear a voice saying, The devil has come to America. 
We see this long-haired kid. He's reading an issue of Newsweek magazine talking about how dungeons and dragons lead to satanic worship, sacrifice, sodomy, suicide, and even murder. And all the kids around him are sharing a laugh at the insane article. Um, Dustin and Mike are walking into the cafeteria, and they nervously make their way over to the table because they have to convince this guy to move their club so Lucas can go to the game and to Hellfire Club. So this has to be Eddie. At one point, he jumps on the table. It, it, it reminded me so much of just the, the 80s, you know, uh, kids jumping on tables and, and commenting on all the different cliques in school, talking about the, the party people and the athletes. And he, he declares that they're freaks because they like a fantasy game. And he's making fun of the other people. Uh, Dustin and Mike make their way over and they bring up the question. He says, Mike and I were talking um, together. We were talking about possibly um, moving the night so that Lucas can go to his basketball game. They said his throw the ball in the hoop in the and which was throw the ball in the basket or something. He something that that um, Eddie said to describe basketball. They uh, asked if he, they could move it, and Eddie's like, "Postpone the cult of Vecna," and there it is. There's the name Vecna that we are associating with that monster we saw in the trailer. So he's like, you want us to postpone it instead of having some sort of sub? And they're like, we don't want to, but most of the subs will be at the championship game. Oh, oh, it's the championship game. He then gives another speech about how uh, people are graduating and he's making his way towards the diploma finally. And his friends were like, well, didn't you say that last year and the year before? It's like, this is my year, 1986. It means Dustin and Mike are the future of Hellfire. He says, we showed you the school didn't have to be the worst place in the world. You are two little lost sheep. And there are other sheep out there that you can find. And go find one. And he pushes them off. We jump over to California where Joyce is calling Murray. He's been busy because he takes karate. And now he's making himself an ice bath. And we also see him get naked in front of things strategically placed. So thankfully we don't see any of uh, any more of Murray than we need to. So she, Murray and Joyce are talking about the doll. And she, she knows it came from Russia. He said, yeah, she should be worried. It could be a threat. He's like, they did sabotage their U.S. operation and killed about two dozen comrades. She's like, well, how would they even know my name? He's like, the KGB could know anything. He has Joyce undress the doll. While he was naked, he thought, undress the doll. Um, do you notice any, any wires or anything? He thinks maybe it's bugged. She noticed a crack, like it was cracked and then glued back together. And Murray has an idea. He says... Get a rope and something heavy. She says, what for? For smashing. We cut over to Jonathan in shop class with Argyle. Jonathan's been mopey, and Argyle thinks it's because his girl's ditching him. And Jonathan's like, she's not ditching me. Oh, she's coming? No. Oh, okay, then she's, she's ditching you. It's like she has to work. Who the hell works over spring break? He says, Nancy. Nancy does. We cut over to see Nancy at the school paper. She's talking to some kid who's asking why Jonathan isn't coming 
to Hawkins. And she says, because reasons, lots of reasons. And she takes over from one girl who's doing some layoff with the paper. Trying, she's trying to improve it. This other kid she's been talking to is claiming journalistic instinct. He keeps pushing why he isn't coming. She mentions that, you know, Joyce, his mom, works and he has to look after his little brother. And he's waiting for his, his college acceptance letter. He didn't get early acceptance like she did. She's wearing an Emerson shirt, which is, I assume that's where she's going to be going. It's located right in Boston, right here in Massachusetts. And um, it does have a degree in journalism. I looked that up. It's about three miles away from where I work, actually. Nancy Wheeler, a Boston alum, possibly. That'd be pretty cool when you think about it. Uh, We then go back and forth between Hawkins and California, from Argyle to this kid with Nancy and Jonathan. And they're just kind of going back and forth, talking about their relationship. It's a cute, fun moment. Argyle says, you've been a good boy. You've been a good boy. Maybe you should start dating other girls. And he's like, no way. He had he said it a little more crass than that, but Jonathan had nothing to do with it. He said, they both get it. And they explain, he explains, that's why I love her. And she said, that's why I love him. And everything is perfect. And at that moment, Mike barges in and says, Nancy. And then looks around. And she just looks at him. And he says, um... Do you want to join Hellfire tonight? Do you want to play? Everybody sing along. A ring around the rosy, hopscotch, monopoly, red light, green light, Gier, Joe's and Bobby's, how to see, kick the gang, cowboys and Indians, whoop football, ball, pickle ball, second and second end. Do you wanna play with me? Legit pumped when I heard this song start playing. This is a song called Play With Me from the band Extreme, who is one of my favorite bands. I've seen them... I think four times. Hopefully I'll see them again uh, soon. Uh, this song is from their first album. I love it. You can see me. I, I Yes, the lyrics, I had to look up a little because there's a lot of lyrics in there. But it's such a fun song. Uh, and I've seen them play it live a couple times. And it's amazing because the guitarist, Nuno Betancourt, flying on the guitar. I love it. Uh, the only issue I had was, and this was only a momentary thing, was that this song came out in 1989. It's only 1986 here. It's actually featured in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That's probably what it's most well known for in the mall scene. Uh, but then I realized they're not listening to the song. And in the first season of Stranger Things, we had a version of Heroes by Peter Gabriel that came out in 2010. So throw that out the window and just enjoy this awesome song and the fun uh, kind of scene that is built around it. Dustin and Mike are just going around asking everyone they could think of uh, if they want to join the Hellfire Club, including Steve and Max. Uh, Steve was like, with that, that Eddie the Freak Munson? No, no thanks. And J- Dustin says, you're just jealous because I have another older male friend. And Steve was like, uh, what? No, no. I think he thought it sounded as weird as I did when he asked Max, she goes, oh, do I get one of those cool shirts? He's like, yeah, yeah, you do. Oh, are you being sarcastic? You're, you're being sarcastic. And then she kind of leaves. And, oh, she, was, she was being sarcastic. Everybody turned them down. And they're just sitting outside and Mike says, I hate high school. 
And Dustin looks off in the distance and says, so screw it. Screw high school. And then he runs. And Mike says, where are we going? And he follows them. And they're running up the hill to the junior high. And I like that there's this kid, random kid riding a skateboard down the hill. It's kind of a great moment. I wonder if it was ad-libbed that Dustin yells, wear a helmet to this kid, which I don't think people were really thinking that much about in 1986. Uh, so they're going to the junior high. And, oh, I think I know why. We cut back over to Chrissy, the cheerleader. She's in the parking lot. She looks nervous, and uh, she makes her way through the parking lot, through the athletic fields, and off into the woods. She finds a picnic table with some empty, probably beer cans. Hello? It looks like she's looking for someone out there. But then she hears this chime, and she turns to see a grandfather clock seemingly embedded into one of the trees. The clock, the clock from the the trailer countdown, the clock from the Creel house, this clock that we've seen over and over again. What the hell is it doing here, and why is she seeing it? Tick, tock, tick, tock, and then it cracks open, and these spiders start pouring out of it. She turns to run, but then she bumps right into Eddie Munson. And that wasn't an accident. It turns out... He's not just a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master. He's also kind of a small-time drug dealer. Nice. She seems uh, really worried at the moment, but he's like, "Oh, no, no worry. Don't. No one ever comes out here." He offers to sell her some weed. She's very jittery, like there's a squirrel on a tree, and she jumps. And he's like, "Look, we don't have to do this. You could walk away, and there's no problem at all." She's like, "No, you know, it's just." You ever feel like you're losing my mind? And he's like, oh, only on a daily basis. Like, right now, I'm doing a drug deal with Chrissy Cunningham, the queen of Hawkins High. He then mentions, you know, this isn't the first time that we've hung out. He talks about the junior high talent show, uh, and she remembers. She remembers he was in a band. She didn't remember it at first, but she remembered the band. It was actually kind of a nice moment. She, You play guitar. He's like, yeah, I still do, I still do. You should uh, come out and see our band. There's usually about, you know, five drunks in the audience, but uh, you got to start somewhere. And they're smiling and they're getting along. And it was like a nice tender moment between two people who are seemingly from two different worlds. And I thought that it, when we saw this, I thought this was the beginning of some sort of friendship that, that we're going to see, or maybe even more. That's what I thought at the time. And you know what? They're talking, actually got him to uh, offer her a discount. But she says, you know, do you have anything maybe stronger? We cut back to California, and Eleven is getting uh, her math test back. All, the, all these kids in the class are getting A's and B's. She got an F. Didn't she say that math was her best subject? I thought friends don't lie. And plus the letter... Friends don't lie. You know that's going to come up at some point. So she's walking uh, through the high school campus when, wouldn't you know it, that bitch Angela trips her in front of everyone. Some of the other pricks kick around the diorama and then someone steps on it. And they just laugh and they walk off. And Eleven has had enough. Angela! Ah! 
Jane! Did someone do this? I tripped. It was just an accident. All right, Angela. You come with me. What? Why? Let's go. I didn't do anything. Tell her, Jane! Tell her! So, a couple things there. Um, Eleven goes to use her powers in front of all these kids. Now, she doesn't have her powers. That probably was her saving grace, because who knows what she would have done for Angela. She really went, and screamed and put her hand out. And for every other kid there, this just looked like a, a troubled child, like, doing God knows what. It was very weird. They're like, what the hell is that? I mean, that's kind of a, a not an unusual reaction to what the hell they just saw. Now, they're jerks, and I can't wait to see what happens to them. But that was a strange one. Then, Eleven doesn't cause any trouble. She just says, I tripped. You know, it was my own fault. Nobody did anything. But she kind of gives this look to Angela, and the teacher comes over and says, you know, Angela, you're coming with me. And it was weird that Angela's like, but I didn't do anything. Tell her, Jane. Tell her. Why would Jane do that? Why are you pleading with Jane, who you've just been a bitch to all day? And then you want her to turn around and say, no, she didn't do anything and stick up for you? What kind of person are you? You are someone I dislike. Will comes over and he's, you know, he sees the diorama smash. He says, you know, we can fix it. We can, we, can, we can do it. We can fix it. We can make it whole again. And he's trying to comfort her, but she is just extremely pissed. The little hopper she made, broken. She is just angry. We cut over to uh, a fun moment. We see Joyce. Um, she has a can of paint attached to a rope. And that rope is thrown over a branch so she can kind of use it as a pulley. She pulls the rope back and the can of paint raises up and we see the doll is on the ground. So she has the can of paint where she can just drop it on the doll. This was Murray's idea and it's kind of brilliant. Smash the doll but be far enough away in case there's something explosive inside. And Murray says, one more thing, but then she drops it. And he's like, Joyce, Joyce, what happened? She said, it broke. She goes over to look through it and she finds a piece of paper. And it's one of these these papers that you'd see like in, in movies for ransom notes. So they don't want you to know who figure out the handwriting. They cut out different letters from magazines and paste them together to make words. And these words said, Hop is alive. He looks forward to date. Please to make. Hop is alive. The look on Joyce's face is just shock and awe. Or, or maybe it's more shock and awe. But I love how it's like written out. It's look forward like a Ford truck. Look forward to date. Two is spelled incorrectly. Please to make. And I'm wondering if that's, he's saying, please to make your acquaintance. I'm thinking there's more to the letter. We just haven't seen it yet. 
It's game time at Hawkins High. The Tigers and Lucas are warming up. Nancy's there reporting. Steve shows up with a girl named Brenda who makes a funny comment about how, isn't it interesting that they're in the championship the year after you graduate? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. We see Robin there in the band. And uh, then they stop for the national anthem. All the way from Nashville, Tammy Thompson. She comes out with a big smile, big earrings, big hair, wearing these lace gloves like Madonna. And Steve and Robin share a look like, wow. If you remember, Tammy Thompson, the girl that made Robin obsessed with Steve because the way Tammy looked at Steve, she wished Tammy looked at her like that. That was her her big crush. Uh, was it the year before in high school? Oh, say can you She's having good because I had this massive crush. I'm sorry. Um, we we took a um a massively hard class together. We were we were um, in Mrs. Clegg's class together. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Were you asking me a question? <laughs> oh. Okay. Wow. She sounds amazing, doesn't she? It's actually a fun little moment because Robin and Steve share that look and they're like, told you, Muppet. And Robin's like, all right, she does kind of sound like a Muppet. And the girl Vicky laughs and Robin, you know, says, I used to think she sounded good because I had this massive crush. And then she catches herself and Vicky's like, what? She goes, oh, we were in this really, really hard class together. And she like, oh, geez, she feels like she almost, she almost said too much. While the anthem's going on, we also see Lucas look over. And I I feel bad his friends are not there. Instead, we see Mike, Dustin, and their sub, Erica. Of course. And Eddie sees her and says, absolutely not. He's not having some kid in this group. This is the Hellfire Club not a babysitting club. She says, I'm 11 years old, you long-haired freak. Ooh, the child speaks. He calls her out. He says, what's your class and level? Level one dwarf. And Erica lets him have it. My name is Lady Applejack, and I'm a chaotic, good, half-elf rogue, level 14. And I will sneak behind any monster you throw my way and stab them in the back with my poison-soaked kukri. And I'll smile as I watch them die, a slow, agonizing death. So, we gonna do this? Or we gonna keep chit-chatting like this is your mommy's book club? Welcome to Hellfire. It's a cool moment because, first of all, we get Erica being Erica, which is always great. And we 
see that Eddie goes from what is this kid doing here to impressed and welcoming. And you see this side of him, you go, okay, he is a good guy deep down inside under this whole persona and this look. He's still a quality person. So the basketball game's going on and the campaign is going on kind of at the same time. We're seeing cuts of the basketball game going back and forth, back and forth. Cuts of the D&D game and Eddie is giving a little talk. He's saying he's telling them of, of what's going on. Uh, these hail Lord Vecna. Hail, Lord Vecna. You may recognize many there, but there is one you do not know. He is missing a left arm and a left eye. And they all react and they go, no, no, no. Vecna is dead. But, Eddie says, no, Vecna lives. We get KISS, Detroit Rock City, and we get a montage of Dungeons and & Dragons and basketball. The Hellfire Club is fighting to the death. Meanwhile, one of the Hawkins Tigers gets injured. Lucas Sinclair, you're in the game. We go back and forth, back and forth. Uh, they have some ups and some downs. Both of them are huddling at one point to try to come up with a plan. The Hellfire Club decide uh, they have a long shot, but they're going to go for it. In the basketball game, there's that team captain guy. He's like, you got to let me take the shot. Winners find a way to win. Get me the ball. you got to give me the ball. They're, they're down, I think, one point with only a, a little time left in the game. And for the Hellfire Club, their odds of winning are 20 to 1. Lucas says, never give me the odds. Quoting Han Solo from that moving picture, The Empire Strikes Back. So on the basketball game, the kid takes the, the shot and at the same time, Dustin rolls the dice in Hellfire and both shots miss. Lucas gets the rebound for the basketball team and heaves up a shot with two seconds left. Erica over at the Hellfire Club, rolls a dice for their last chance to win. Both shots hit. Both Sinclairs are the heroes. Both win. Erica is very proud. Lucas is, looks like a little confused, but also happy. And as he's leaving the basketball game, he sees the Hellfire Club and his sister leaving. And they're also celebrating and doing their thing over there. They're having fun without him. Uh, and then he's asked by you know one of the uh, one of the basketball players like hey come on you want to come home hang out with us he goes with them but it just looks like he's not ex as excited as he should be um, but this is what he wanted he wanted to kind of get an in with the quote unquote cool crowd but I think he envisioned that in for him and Mike and Dustin. 
we cut over to Max, who heard the basketball game being talked about on the local radio in her bedroom. She turns it off, but not before hearing that Lucas came off the bench to hit the winning shot. She hears her dog barking outside, and she comes out of her room to go check on the dog, but she finds her mom passed out on the couch, puts out her cigarettes, throws away her empty cans of beer, and she brings food to the dog who stays outside, I guess, all the time. And now you understand why Max said where she lives sucks. Uh, you know, she went from a house with a, a, a stepdad and a stepbrother to now being in a trailer park. And it doesn't look like a, a very nice one um, or an all, a very, you know, fancy one because there are some that are really nice out there. Uh, but doesn't look like one and she's just you know with her mom who's seemingly not handling things well so she goes out to feed uh, her dog and she hears something looks up and she sees uh, one of the neighbors coming home in a van filled with smoke and oh it's Eddie and uh, wait Chrissy the cheerleader that's the girl that Max saw earlier that day hmm well, she gives a little look, but doesn't pay too much time thinking about it and uh, goes back in the house. And that's, I think, the last we see of Max. In fact, the rest of this episode, we stay with Eddie and Chrissy. We go in with uh, them into Eddie's trailer. She's like, oh, you live here alone? He's like, no, I live with my uncle, but he works nights. So really, Eddie's mostly alone. Uh, he brought her there to get her some special K. And no, 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 that's not, uh, they're not talking about the delicious cereal, but it's friggin' ketamine, which is basically like an anesthesia used for animals. So she really wants to escape something. And I guess Eddie's not just, not just a weed dealer. He's got some of that hardcore stuff. Uh, at least I think it's hardcore. I, I don't really know drugs all that well, which is a good thing, I think. Eddie's like having trouble looking for it. He's like, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll find it. He goes into his uh, bedroom and says hello to his guitar. Tells it, tells it. Did he say her? Or he says he misses it. Gives it a little kiss, which I would too. That's a cool guitar. Uh, but while he's in there uh, looking for the special K, Chrissy, you know, all of a sudden she starts to hear things the chime of a clock and it ticking and she yells Eddie did you find it Eddie did you find it she seems really afraid Eddie Eddie did you find it he's not answering so she starts walking down the hall towards his room and when she gets to his room he's not there in fact It's her mother. Oh, and she's got a demonic face. And she's doing, like, sewing the, the cheerleading outfit. I guess taking it out for her because she has this, this body issue. Now she closes the door of Eddie's room, turns around, and she's in her house. And things look really trippy. Oh, God. Now it's the mother again. Open the door. Open the door. 
Chrissy. That's not mom. She runs down the hall. We see a family photo, a family portrait of them. And she sees her dad. He's sitting in his nice lazy boy chair. Dad, can you help me? Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. His eyes and his mouth are completely sewed shut, which reminds me of Robert England in the trailer. Oh, Eddie found the uh, special K. Peaceful bliss is moments away. He comes out and she's just standing there. Chrissy. Like catatonic, but her eyes are fluttering. Chrissy. Trying to get her, trying to get her to wake up. All of a sudden, the lights are flickering in his trailer. And they're also flickering in this dream state that she's in. And I wonder if that's the warning. If that's letting them know that he is coming. The creature that we've all been kind of warned of in the trailer. Earlier with Chrissy in the bathroom coming down the stairs. She runs down the hallway and she finds a, 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 a dining room filled with rotting food with spiders all over it. This, this creature, Chrissy, chases her, but doesn't really chase her. He just slowly lumbers towards her. She runs to the front door and it's completely boarded shut. this creature, this monster, this, maybe this is Vecna, as, or they start calling him it, is just growling and slowly just walking over towards Chrissy. Step, step, and she is just frozen in fear. He stands right before her. Raises, raises his hand, actually wipes her, like gives her cheek a little wipe. It's time for your suffering to to end. Then he puts his hand up over her face and almost breathes in. In the real world, oh God. In the real world, Eddie's like trying to wake her up and, and she levitates, raises up. Oh, God. And now the creature grabs her face directly. In the trailer, she gets shot up to the ceiling. Her legs break. Her arms break. Her jaw breaks. He's squeezing her head in the dream state. And, oh, God. Eddie screams. Her eyes cave in to her head. She's gone. She is gone. And that is the end of Chapter 1, The Hellfire Club. Holy moly. This felt like a good old-fashioned monster movie, like a horror story. 
let's let's try to quickly review what we learned here, folks. Um, number one, I noticed that nothing fantastical happened to any of our group. They've had kind of a normal time of it. It hasn't been great fully. It hasn't been easy fully. But there's been no monsters, no powers, nothing. The only supernatural things that happened were to Chrissy and then to Eddie, who witnessed it. I remember there was some interview where the Duffers said, oh, they want this Vecna character to be like their Freddy Krueger. Well, this kind of pays homage to Freddy Krueger. Number one, she was, she wasn't asleep, but it was like in a trance, in a dream where she could see him and everything that was happening was very real to her. She could die in her in this state, and she dies in real life. Not quite the same, but what was very similar and was, I would assume, some sort of homage was in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street that came out in 1984, I believe. There's a character who, so they believe this, this Fred Krueger comes to them in their dreams. And this ca- there's a character who is like this tough guy And he's got the blonde girlfriend. And one night, the girl falls asleep. And um, Freddy Krueger comes and kills this girl. And she gets thrown on the ceiling. She doesn't, and she doesn't like have, you know, broken bones or anything. It's not anything like, she doesn't levitate. No, she does. She gets thrown around the room. She doesn't levitate, but she gets tossed around the room and up on the ceiling where she gets killed. And the boy in the room, Rod Lane, witnesses it and actually ends up being arrested for the murder. And I'm just trying to wonder, is something going to happen to Eddie? I love the fact that I haven't watched any other episodes yet. That's going to change. I can't sit back and just watch one episode and do uh, and, and then do a, a podcast on it because I will lose all my sleep. I will never look at Twitter again. And uh, these episodes will <laughs> like, I'll be like, oh, I haven't watched an episode in five days and now I'm going to do it. No, no, no. Um, after today, I think I'm going to start watching these episodes and then start producing the podcast on a semi-regular basis to get them out to you, but I definitely wanted to get this one out as soon as possible. As soon as possible, to me, meant getting it out in the afternoon. I took the day out of work, had this whole thing planned. It just, nothing ever goes as you think it's going to go. And now that means that I'm recording here at 12.39 a.m. on Saturday morning. But... I don't care. I'm high on life because of Stranger Things being back. And I'm just, that's a long way of saying I don't know where things are going. And I love having these questions here. 
future episodes, I, I will be talking from experience. Right now, I'm just talking with kind of um, an, a, a curiosity. Uh, we call it a journalistic um, uh, in, intuition. Is that what the kid said? I forget. But um, I wonder if there's going to be some sort of issue with, first of all, this happening in Eddie's uh, trailer. It's going to look like he, you know, beat the shit out of this girl, broke all her bones, caved her eyes in. Um, I, I just wonder how that's going to play out. And that's the only crazy thing that happened as far as supernatural. The rest of our group, you know, let's kind of quickly go over where they are. Jonathan's just kind of breezing through high school waiting to hear from a college. He had a couple scenes, but nothing major happened with him in this episode. Kind of the same with Nancy. We see her dealing uh, with some high school news stuff and also talking about Jonathan. Jonathan's talking about her. But that's it. Real, real kind of high-level stuff and how their relationship is perfect. They're in love and everything's going to work out and they're going to hopefully go to college together. If you go to their siblings... Uh, Will, he, he's working on a painting that he's not showing anyone. He, um, is not interested in this girl who's playing footsie with him. Um, and it's again, is it because he's not interested in that girl? He doesn't like girls or he's afraid. There could be any of these things. Um, and I don't know yet. I wonder, I wonder when we're going to find out or if we're going to find out. Um, Mike, on the other hand, is he just kind of had a kind of a light episode his him and Dustin really Dustin has his girlfriend uh, changing grades for him but you know they really just focused on their Dungeons and Dragons um, campaign the Hellfire Club that was kind of their whole story trying to get someone to, to join with them uh, Mike had his letter from 11 so he's all excited he's he's leaving the next day so I would assume the next episode we'll see Mike off in California we also did see Erica join them for the Hellfire Club, so we had some fun moments with her, but it was all lighthearted with them, except they didn't like that Lucas wasn't joining them. In this episode, as much as Lucas you know, is great for, for hitting the big shot, I felt bad for him. I felt bad because uh, his friends didn't go to see him, his sister didn't go to see him, his ex-girlfriend wasn't interested in seeing him. He joined this to try to help with, you know, up his social game. And it might be helping for him, but he really wanted his friends to join him with that. And right now it's not happening. So I don't know if there's going to be just kind of this separation at some point where it's like, hey, we're really good friends and we used to hang out a lot more than we do now. But come on, it has to come back together, right? Right, I'm already like worried about them breaking up, and and then but they have to get back together. I don't know if any of that's going to happen. I'm just guessing. Uh, with Steve and Robin, again, lighthearted stuff. Robin's a little more like you know she's worried. She likes this girl. She doesn't know if this girl uh, likes girls or boobies, as Steve says. Uh, and she, you know, she's nervous around her because if she says the wrong thing, she is really worried about how people will see her. Uh, Steve, meanwhile. 
is working at the video store and um, he's dating lots of girls. Uh, this girl's like, she's really good, talking about the singing and the look on Steve's face like, oh, maybe this girl isn't the one for me. And then um, we have Max. Now, Max, she's not having a good go of it. She's had a really rough time since Billy died. Her stepdad left. Her mom is drinking. They're in a trailer. She's upset. She's having nightmares. She's having headaches. Uh, And she's on Tylenol. She hasn't been sleeping. Not on Tylenol. She's taking Tylenol. She hasn't been sleeping. And she's like, yeah, everything's fine. She and Lucas broke up. But at the pep rally, she still did hang out with Mike and Dustin. So I don't think she's completely isolated herself from the group. Um, And Eleven, well, she's trying to make things seem like they're good. But she's dealing with bullies. And there's this whole thing with her power not being there that she she tried to use in California. And all it did was make kids laugh at her. But what if she did use it? Could it be like, could it something terrible have happened? Like it did back in 1979 when we saw in that that um, opening scene where we don't know what caused what we saw, but we all know there was a lot of death and Eleven was there with bloody eyes, bloody nose, and just breathing. And And I can't imagine... That's the last we see of that. And what about our adults? Murray's, you know, hang, he's still, still at the same place. I don't think he relocated. He does karate on Fridays now. And uh, I guess he's still in some sort of regular contact with Joyce. And Joyce, 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 what an episode. She got, um, she has a job selling encyclopedias. But more importantly, she got a letter and she got a package in the mail. And in that package was the doll, and in that doll was a letter saying Hop is alive. And that alone is the first, is the only thing she needs to try to figure out how to get him, how to save him. And you know that Murray has to be involved with that. Then we have some of our new characters. Argyle. He's just there to say, hold on to your butts, bro, Chacho. And man... Um, you know, she ditched you. Dude is very much California surfer, but I think that's how people um, talk. I don't know if they all talk like that, but I believe that's a real thing. That's a real California accent. Uh, that, that is a thing. It's not just dude and, and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Um, and he plays that perfectly, brochacho. But he doesn't, doesn't do much. Eddie Munson seems like a much deeper character. A guy who is smarter than he lets on. He's more, uh, he's got more layers than he lets on. You know, he has this long hair, plays guitar, plays Dungeons and Dragons, deals drugs. Not a, not a lot of, not, not all great, not all great. But he's also, he was also very friendly with the girl, with Chrissy. Uh, and I, I really thought the two of them were going to have some sort of ongoing relationship. And now Chrissy's dead. And what the hell was going on? What what is the clock she's seeing? What makes me nervous is she levitated. 
And in the trailer, we saw Max levitate. That makes me very nervous because now I know uh, that this Vecna guy likes to levitate people before he breaks them and kills them. That can't happen to Max, can it? God. So where do we go from here? I mean, there's going to be obviously something with the girl. A lot of it's going to focus on the girl. And Max might be like take the lead in this. I wonder because she saw him at Eddie's. She saw him with the counselor. She saw him. She saw her looking nervous. She didn't see her going into the woods. I don't think. But um, I wonder if she will kind of take the charge. And maybe that's when the whole investigation starts that leads them to the Creel house. I am excited to find out. But um, it's it's officially Saturday now. So uh, I, I didn't get this out on Stranger Things Friday. I apologize. But hopefully you're all waking up today going, oh, a new episode. And it's a long one. Uh, and I can only imagine how long the really long episodes are going to be. But you know what? I'm here for it. I'm excited for it. And I can't wait to talk about it more with you next time. Now, a couple things. I saw a few more voicemails come in. Just a reminder that those, that I'll be playing those after I watch all the episodes. Probably after the season is done. Because I don't want anyone else to you know, hear a, a question that comes up about episode 5 that maybe references episode 6 and they haven't watched it yet. So I want to save all the voicemail for the end, uh, but please, please, please feel free to, to send them in. There is a, um, there's a link in every show note, and if you go to fansnotexperts.com slash strangerdanger, there's a link there to leave a message. Um, other than that, oh yeah, I have a new theme song at the beginning. If you go back you know, a good hour and a half plus, a uh, new theme song that I did a couple weeks ago. Uh, I got a, I have an electric drum pad that you can play the drums on and I, I play guitar and a little bass. And so I, f- I tried to, to put some rock and roll over the, uh, over the stranger, Dan- over the stranger things theme song to try to make it a little more my own. And I hope you liked it. Hope you like, cause you're going to be hearing it a lot over the next coming weeks. Uh, and I, th- I think that's it. I think I think I'm ready to go to bed, ready to get this uploaded, and ready for you to find it tomorrow morning as you wake up for your Saturday. So, my friends, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for for sticking with the rewatch through the whole thing. It was all to get to today, or yesterday, I guess technically for me, and uh, we did it. We're here. It's happening. I am thrilled and I'm very thankful for you guys for coming along on the ride with me onward and upward to more episodes and more stranger things but until next time you can find me on twitter and on instagram at geek mentality the show has its own twitter account at stranger d pod we do have a facebook page it's simply fans not experts and that's because the website where you can find everything stranger danger is fansnotexperts.com slash stranger danger. 
So until chapter two, remember to stay stranger, my friends. And beware Vecna, Vecna At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.